There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. There's a movement sweeping this country that relates to the destruction of statues and any other symbols of the Confederate War era. And that movement actually made it to Dallas, Texas this this past week. The Dallas City Council ordered the removal of a very valuable, large, lovely statue of General Robert E. Lee, who was the leader of the Southern Forces during the Civil War. Before I talk about how consequential that is, I want to play a clip for you, and this is my friend and fellow Salem uh, radio host, Mark Davis, talking with Dwayne Carraway about why the Robert E. Lee statue had to come down. If we can um, play a clip I'm one. agnostic on generally. I understand right. the position of those who hate this imagery and those who embrace it. Right. My question is, why did this... Why couldn't we wait the 90 days for the task force? Why did this have to have to happen in such a rush? Well, number one, it's not really a rush, but then it is a rush, and it is an emergency for all of the citizens of Dallas. An emergency? It defined, is defined by how? Well, let me let me explain to you. When the police in the last rally were out protecting us, the citizens of Dallas, our police were at risk. What was not reported was the fact that they had bottles being thrown at them. And and they were armed, of course, mm-hmm. and we did not need to revisit something that occurred a year ago on the 7th. Right, the, the horrible July 7th massacre. What does that so, have to so, do so with it? It has all to do with it mm-hmm. because there were going to be more rallies. And with more rallies, that would mean mm-hmm. that folks and our police would have been at risk every single rally, every single so, weekend. Folks, I want you to grasp what you just heard. Dwayne Carraway was not a random citizen on the street. He's a current member of the Dallas City Council. He served in that council, I think it was 10 years before that. He had to take one break because of their uh, rules about term limits. He's back on city council. He's been interim mayor. What he is saying in that clip is that because a small number, a minuscule number of Dallas citizens engaged in violence and throwing bottles and rocks at police officers— The only answer to bring safety to police and to the Dallas citizens is to do what that mob says to do, commonly known as mob rule. This was not even and he did not apologetically offer this critique. That's what he's talking about. And, folks, this is what I want to talk about tonight in this first five. First of all, this statue issue is so much bigger than whether or not the particular statue here in Dallas, others like it in the city, others like it around America, come down or not. It's not really about the statues. First point, if you agree to let a group of citizens essentially say, we get our way or we're going to start hurting and maybe killing cops, he's making reference to the murders of uh, police officers last summer in Dallas, You are dealing with mob rule, and you better do a better job of that than just simply capitulating. And what happened at Dallas City Council this this past week was an example of mob rule. The city council put together a farce of a commission to look into this statue. They met once. They had no say at all. And then they had a farce of a, a hearing where the Dallas City Council permitted citizens to come, present their arguments. And as I learned, and I am not speculating, I learned factually that Mayor Rawlings, the day before, 
and probably long before that, had already decided and put in place that the statue was coming down. The statue was coming down regardless of what the citizens thought, regardless of the testimony, regardless of the, uh, the opinions of the, of the public. Second point, this problem is not just an isolated incident. This is happening around America, and it's not just about the statues. It's a much bigger issue. Third point, this is not about race. I have black friends, white friends, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal viewpoints across the board on all fronts. Two earnest, serious black conservative Republican women friends of mine think it's outrageous that the statue was brought down. But, you know, so it is not a black versus white issue. And don't you let people tell you that it is. This is about mob rule or rule of law. And the last thing is on this mob rule path, this is why I always try in the first segment to talk about you can't have America and you cannot have the America, the great, unique country of America, and its building block, a fundamental building block, the rule of law and mob rule. You have to choose between them. You have to stand up for the right answer, which in America is the rule of law, which in this case would mean you had an actually meaningful city council exchange. And perhaps an issue of this consequence, you had a public referendum and you had the answer of the Dallas City Council and the mayor and the people of Dallas to this kind of statement that Dwayne Carraway made, we don't kowtow to mobs. We don't negotiate with terrorists, and we don't give in to mobs. And if we don't do this, folks, we are headed down a dangerous path because this little one statue that is lo- that is uh, in Lee Park, I don't frankly even know if it's still there or they managed to get it out. But this is street names and other symbols, and it's a fight over the destruction of America's history. And this is just the start, and we don't want to be the ones that didn't stand up because the broader picture of this, just imagine this being carried out in other ways. Just suppose, for example, if some misogynists wanted to destroy statues of the suffragettes because they don't like women voting, or women opposed to sexual assault wanted to destroy a statue of Bill Clinton, or opponents of communism wanted to get rid of statues and references to Cesar Chavez. Does everyone get to say, my way or violence? We cannot have that. It's the rule of law, and that's why it matters to you. Your city will be less safe if you don't stand up for the rule of law in this great United States. Come back after the break. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
the Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. So glad you've tuned in tonight. I want to say a few more words about this Dallas um, statue. And it really isn't just Dallas. We could be talking about any city in America. We can be talking about parks around the country. We can be talking about college campuses where this is happening. And I want to plant the seed that this is not, when I say it's not isolated, it's in more than one way it's not isolated. It's not isolated because we're only going to be forever talking about Civil War people. Because already in Washington, we've had people defacing, you know, George Washington, things related to George Washington and Abraham Lincoln because they owned slaves. We've had people uh, talking about the uh, just uh, attack on Christopher Columbus. And so it's not just narrowly about the Confederate War people, but in an even bigger point, and I want to start to talk about this more and more in this show, that we need to be able as wise patriots, as the thinking patriots are the kind of people who listen to this show, to recognize that much of, we're, of what we're observing in the political culture, in the events of our day, 
they are not just tied to the narrow issues they seem to be tied to. They're not just about statues or just about transgenders or just about marriage or just about the dreamers or just about one thing. There is a much broader, big picture that goes on. And in the in next segment tonight, we're going to be talking with someone who tried to write, who did write a memo describing some of this. What I'm getting at is this, the, the founding ideas of America, the notion of individual liberty, rights from God that are yours just because you were born, the notion that government exists to protect those rights, the notion that we try to preserve as much freedom as we can, that we a limited government is not just an interesting concept. It's a way to keep tyranny away, a way to keep tyranny out of this country. Those founding ideas are antithetical to left-wing views. They're simply antithetical. I'm not saying every Democrat in America. I'm saying left-wing thought in this country for decades now has been at work undermining much of what makes America great, much of what makes us unique and exceptional and dedicated to liberty. There is a left-wing effort ongoing for decades and decades now. We're just seeing the latest iteration. This notion of destroying America's history, and, and back to on the Confederate statue thing, Nobody in this country is defending slavery or segregation. Everyone who I know would, would go back, if they could go back in time, they would change that. They would fight it. No one is saying those things were okay. The statue of Robert E. Lee is not there saying that slavery was okay. But there is a really fundamental idea of a nation holding on to its history, understanding its history, learning its history, or is it that so is said so often, you know, if we don't learn from our history, we are just inflicted with a we're going to repeat it. We're just, we're, you're, you know, going to sit. What's the expression? We're doomed to repeat it. Thank you very much. Doomed to repeat it. And, you know, that whole idea is what we're seeing because this argument about um, what the stat- should happen with the statues, the underlying theme of it is to divide America. It's to divide us from each other, to plant the seed that America, and this has been working for the Obama years and before that, the notion of trying to convince Americans that the that the, uh, the country is racist, that there's a racist behind every every stone under every stone or on every corner, that we are a country that we are suspicious of each other. This is an effort to divide this country. This is just one issue. And you know, we're, we're the person we're going to talk to starting at six thirty is named Rich Higgins, and he wrote an impossibly brilliant memo when he was serving in the National Security Council, and it led to his termination by H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor, terminated Rich Higgins along with other conservatives in the National Security Council. We'll talk to him about why, because he was trying to make the point, I want to, I'm trying to make here too, is that all of these uprisings, all of a sudden the interest in you know, transgenders and, and uh, changing the definition of marriage and obliterating the value of life and mocking uh, traditional family units as, as antiquated and irrelevant and mocking the notion of, the, of citizenship mattering and that borders matter and that, that you have to have a, a meaning to have a meaningful country. You have to have standards for citizenship. All those things are antithetical to leftist ideas, which simply are all about always a Requiring more power in the hands of the leftists and less freedom in the hands of the people. These are, this is an ongoing thing. So I want to hit on the statues. No one's defending slavery, but we are defending the idea you have to have your country's history. I mean, it's a mob rule problem for sure. We're abandoning rule of law to let the mob rule. But then secondly, we're saying we are just going to block out America's history. Once you don't know America's history, you can't defend it. 
And this notion I'm talking about, you know, that this obstruction or just the attempt to destroy really America's history, other elements you see, you ask kids who graduated from high school these days, who is George Washington? Uh, He was a slave owner. That's about what they know. They don't understand the unique ideas of America, the, the notion of undermining the founding ideas as racist or as, you know, antiquated, irrelevant, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, those, those you know, documents, brilliant at, at a level, you know, above most of world, of everything else written in world history. That's what those documents are. But the leftists and the institutions and colleges and academia have been undermining, undermining so that kids leave high school and college. And the most they know about Abraham Lincoln was, well, he freed the slaves, but he really was kind of a rotten guy because, after all, he was intending to. uh, He didn't always believe in freeing the slaves. You know, he started out being kind of in favor of letting slaves remain in place. The notion I'm getting at is we have institutions undermining the value, not just of our founding documents, even the Constitution, for example. You know, my law school, my alma mater, Georgetown, one of the professors I had him in for a class is leading the movement to obliterate the Constitution, arguing that we don't need the Constitution anymore because we're past that. It's so outdated. It's so irrelevant. I had that guy, Professor Seidman, had him for some other <laughs> class first year, but not con law. In any case... This whole notion just, it, it ultimately destroys the unique um, rooting of American liberty because if people think they are deserve to be free and they, they are entitled to liberty and they're entitled to pursue their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, they're not going to tolerate a government controlling them. Leftists live to control you. And another example, this kind of, you know, this term we're going to hear more about in the next segment about cultural Marxism, it's the notion of just undermining the values of America— with and trying to replace them with vague and happy sounding, positive sounding things that are really just destructive of America. And on that note, I want to mention one thing that's happening, uh, and, and it'll be, we'll be following it closely in this uh, show. But, you know, one way in which we have really begun to undermine America's uh, unique identity, we permitted the left to do this to undermine America's unique identity, has to do with marriage and has to do with the and, and religious values. And on, on religious values, there is a case now pending before the Supreme Court called Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Short story, Christian guy, owns a bakery. He bakes lovely, beautiful cakes. He serves anyone who walks in the door. He sells cakes to anybody or whatever else he makes to anyone who comes in the door. But he was asked if he would bake a wedding cake for a same-sex wedding. He said that it was inconsistent with his religious values because he's a Christian and he believes in traditional marriage. He ended up being um, sued uh, by this gay couple and ultimately ended up because the organization in, in the law in Colorado, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, found him to have unlawfully discriminated and shut him down, saying you cannot decline to make a cake for a same-sex mar- wedding because they are exalting the ver- their, this secular value of marriage means nothing except two people who want to want to be married to say your religious values matter less than the desire of these two people to get married. And so the case is now before the Supreme Court. And I raise this to say, I don't know how it's going to go at the court. I, you know, and, and I think every, many serious advocates for religious liberty be following the case closely. But my point is, we would never have considered this 20 years ago, that someone could lose their business because they might, uh, because they run afoul of the secular determination to eviscerate the institution of marriage. Now, look, on a personal level, I think people should be able to live freely and be with who they want and 
you know, I'm, I'm not uh, judging anyone for the relationship they choose, but I do think that it's vital to recognize that in the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, and frankly, most faiths, for about the last 4,000 years, marriage has been between a man and a woman. And if we're going to change that definition in our society, fine. We've been doing that in America. We have a Supreme Court case that essentially validated same, same-sex weddings, marriages. But the, the notion that because same-sex marriages are permissible— that means that no one who has a religious value separate from that can can live out their religious faith. They are forced to do, and I'm going to tell you some analogies, kind of like if you had a Muslim bakery and you said, I want you to cook food for the hog convention because they, you know, they don't eat pork. Or you had a, you know, a absolutely committed um, pro-choice owner of a bakery and asked and forced to to uh, prepare things for a big pro-life rally. You don't force people in this country to go astray, to go to do things inconsistent with their values. But this is a, an example of this notion where we're perfectly okay in this country these days and, and that people in government think, like Colorado Civil Rights Commission thinks it's okay, to tell a baker, you have no right to actually live out your, your Christian values. We tell you whether you must bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. Okay, we're out of time in this segment. We come back. We have Rich Higgins joining us. And if you go to AmericanCommunityTalk.org, I've posted his uh, article there. You've got to read it. Brilliant guy, fired by McMaster. We're going to give him a chance to tell us all about the National Security Council. Come right back. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk, and thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I mentioned before the break, we have a fabulous guest joining us. He's joining us by phone, and um, I want to just quickly introduce him. His name is Richard Higgins, or Rich Higgins, and uh, his resume, I mean, reads like someone you think, gosh, I'd love to have him in charge of the country. Um, he's, a, uh, he's currently the Vice President of Intelligence and National Security for a group called Red LLC, but he's, his life experience, he's an expert in the nexus between theological doctrines and information age, unconventional warfare. He spent 20 years combating terrorism. He managed a classified project for Special Operations Command, SOCOM. Um, from 2010 to 2011, he served as the chair of Special Operations and Low-Intensity Conflict. I could go on and on. This is a gentleman just well-versed, deeply well-versed, not just in the methods of war, but in, in a unique way, well-versed and understanding of the ideological roots that are undergirding um, the battles we face today. So, Rich Higgins, did I come close to accurately describing your expertise? And hello. Too, too kind, Debbie. Thanks for having me tonight. It's good to talk to you again. I'm so happy to have you on, and, and at you, as you say, you were on the show one time before. So, Rich Higgins wrote this memo. And uh, the title of it is POTUS and Political Warfare is dated in POTUS being president of the United States and political warfare, May 2017. Okay, so I have to tell you that we were on vacation and my and so we took a little bit of a break. We were out in California and my husband came across this. And so we were on vacation with printed out copies of this highlighting and (laughs) writing all over it because it's a brilliant memo and it's it, i want our listeners to understand i mean i as i was preparing for today i was thinking i need about three hours to talk through all this with you but 
the gist of what you were writing about, um, I I took it to be understood that it was important for the president and for H.R. McMaster, the National Security Council, to understand that all of these attacks on President Trump are not just um, random or not just isolated into this group and that group, but really you described it as the attacks on President Trump are designed to undermine, delegitimize, and ultimately remove him. And it's not politics as usual, but instead political warfare at an unprecedented level. So what do you mean by that? I think the the point of the memo, first off, uh, the memo was drafted in a personal capacity. It was something that having been affiliated with the Trump campaign, uh, I wrote at home and uh, was written to disseminate uh, among colleagues that I you know, had served on the campaign with. Uh, I was one of Trump's counterterrorism advisors uh, during the campaign. And just I, I think there was a um, there was a over focus uh, on the part of the administration on the media fight, you know, the whole hashtag fake news. And there wasn't enough um uh, detailed analysis as to going on as to why phenomenologically uh, it was taking place. And I really wanted to explain to them how uh, Trump's opposition uh, or people who perceived a risk in what President Trump was trying to accomplish in terms of his financial policy, his foreign policy, his national security policy, why they would be behind uh, a campaign that we saw like this. I think, you know, everybody would agree that you know, in, in the past, at least in you know, in my forty-something years of life, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, where just every night, it, it just is incessant. You couldn't turn on the radio, the television, or turn on your Twitter feed without seeing it. And I was trying to give them some context as to why this would be taking place. Okay, uh, you know, and again, folks, if you just tune in, this is Rich Higgins, and we're speaking with. And there's a memo he wrote, which you can get. Read. I put a link up to it on americacanwetalk.org, and I think it's on our Facebook page, too, America Can We Talk. And what was so, I mean, it's just really, you have to, and I, I'm pretty wonky, and I'm a lawyer by background. I had to read it several times <laughs> to, to begin to grasp, grasp the depth of it. But one point that I want to follow up with you, you talked early on in the memo about the idea that um, you use the expression cultural Marxism, and you also talked about how, these campaigns against President Trump work through narratives. And you said that because the hard left is aligned with Islamic organizations. And then you talk about Antifa working with Muslim Brotherhood, doing business as CARE and the national organizations like ACLU and Black Lives Matter working together with CARE. I mean, I think so many people see each of those groups as isolated groups with a singular issue and you're mixing their motives together. Can you explain why? I think it's really important to understand that they share a common end state, which is um, the weakening and um, disenfranchisement of the core American political philosophy, where the individual is the sovereign. You know, you you see you see the both the Democrats and the Republican establishment now working to overturn the results of an election of an individual who's brought into power to begin to change what we'd seen as the in, in the course of the past. You know, I'd say probably 50, 60 years, but really the past three administrations, uh, going back to you know 1992, maybe you could go even earlier to the New World Order with the Bush administration, uh, the first one. Um, but but the point the point of it being, these groups are aligned at the at the end state level. All of them wanted to see President Trump diminished. All of them were opposed to the idea 
of of an America revived, right? And and Trump ran on Make America Great, Great Again as an American revival movement. That's that's what he was about: bringing back production capitalism, stopping these unfair trade deals, being smarter on national security, where we just have these perpetual wars, and we see the establishment now, both on the left and right beginning to get success where, you know, they've, they've continued the war in Afghanistan, which, you know, it seems like we're in what now tomorrow's the anniversary of 9-11. We're 16 years into this war with no end in sight. And I think the American people want us to be smarter and they want us to have strategies that actually result in the benefit, you know, of, in the, for the benefit of the country, uh, as opposed to the benefit of these special interest groups. So it's their shared objective that really unites them. And we see that, you know, with the, as far as the Islam threat, uh, they identified back as early as uh, candidly. I, I mean, I said in the memo, um, you know, the 1980s. But in reality, Said Qutb, the core ideological founder of Al Qaeda, studied in Colorado in 1949 and 1950, and he began to make these assessments as he was formulating some of his core doctrines back in the 50s and 60s. So this this alliance, if you will, between the hard left Marxists and the jihadis is nothing new. Um, for people who've really taken the time to study the ideological and doctrinal drivers behind the enemy's movement, um, it, you know, it's, it's common knowledge. But the average American is, is fed by the media, this fixation simply on the violent side of the effort. They don't really get into the political and ideological side of it. Okay, so if you do get into the political and ideological side of it, so you begin to see, and, and I have to, you know, I'm going to step back and say, you made a comment in this that you were, that people who got behind Donald Trump, they, they, he really tapped into your expression, a deep vein of concern among many citizens that America is at risk and is slipping away. And I think that is a beautiful summary of what I'm going to guess the majority of Trump voters saw, especially those who had not voted in 20 or more years, who turned out for the first time, they found someone, whether they did or did not like his brusque, his, you know, his speaking style, his whole demeanor is very uh, unique for a serious uh, national level candidate. But they heard someone like tapping into their heart, their, their concern about, yes, I feel that way, too. Part of it was he was able to to uh, call out and talk about issues that people had been beaten down by political correctness into thinking, you can't talk about that. You can't say that at all. So he really did revive all that. But, you know, I so I, I just I want to cannot commend you um, highly enough for the depth of this memo and, and how helpful it was. But so where does all of this I mean, you talk about all these groups who who are churning behind the scenes and under and, and upset about Trump's victory. Like, what does that mean for, uh, suppose that, and, you know, we're going to get to, have to get to break here. We have a minute and a half for the break. Um, but at, at, let me just go this way. At an individual level, you talk about the idea, people start to feel afraid to speak up. They're afraid to being labeled um, sexist, racist, xenophobic. And, and it is a tactic. I mean, you talk about it's a tactic, not just a, a, a circumstantial thing. In about a minute, is it accurate that people all these labels are flying around that they're tactics used to silence people. It is, it is part of a coordinated plan uh, today being employed by the jihadi groups and the Islamic fundamentalists. But I mean, I can show you testimony from people like Bella Dodd back in 1953 to the house on American activities committee talking about how Marxists would use terms like racist and fascist. And we see, you know, groups like Antifa. I mean, Antifa is a group 
that has, while, while new on the American political scene, it was, it was dominant in 1932 and 1933 Germany. Uh, and the Nazi groups rose in opposition to these communist groups. And we need to understand how these political mass movements interact with one another. And I, I, don't, I don't think we have a sufficient focus in terms of national security on the domestic threat that these groups represent in terms of their ability to shape narratives and to shape the public's perception of events. Uh, and I think it's it's a, it's a real danger, and uh, it's the reason I authored the memo is I didn't feel like we were understanding what was happening to the president. Yeah, Rich Higgins, we're going to zip off to a break. When I come back, I want to have you tell us what cultural Marxism means. Come right back, folks. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. 
Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. If you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us this evening Rich Higgins, who is a um, just a deeply thoughtful uh, and long-experienced um, in the military, military background, studying the ideology of war. Uh, just, just a um, just very insightful guy. And the the memo that he wrote, um, he was formerly on the National Security Council uh, and working with H.R. McMaster, our National Security Advisor, and he is no longer in that job. Um, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But the the memo he wrote called "POTUS and Political Warfare" really lays out the idea that it's important to recognize that what is happening in the multi and the multi-pronged attacks on President Trump and really on America um, are not isolated and they have common ideological roots. So it's, it's just it's vital to understand them. And, you know, I want to just ask you about one term you use. And I, I mentioned earlier in the show, I want to start talking about this more. You use the term cultural Marxism. What does that mean to you? Um, the simplest way to explain it is uh, if, if you know, in the in my past life, I mean, I work in the black side of you know government activities overseas. But if you want to take out a country, you had four principal target groups that you went after. They were students and youth, labor groups, media, and elites. And the goal of you know, your your uh, influence operations inside of those spaces was to move them into your perception of events to move them into your understanding of the rule of law, your understanding of international governance in favor of U.S. foreign policy. So when I say the term cultural Marxism, it was the same thing executed, you know, really under the rubric of the Soviet Union to begin with, but today carried on uh, in groups like the Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe, uh, the United Nations and others, uh, where, you know, they, they make extra legal or, or extraterritorial claims of jurisdiction on specific subjects here inside the United States. So, for example, when the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is funding Harvard, they're funding Georgetown, they're funding all of the elite universities in the United States and providing for them and the elite students that are attending these universities who will someday staff our government, staff our corporations with a concocted or contrived version of the jihadi threat. And so, you know, when you get into cultural Marxism, and you can you can go deep into the Soviet underpinnings of it, but it also is reflective of a uh, of a nihilistic or you know a belief in everything that is the belief in nothing that is pushed forward uh, into our youth culture today through popular media, etc. 
So it's a, it's a line of attack. Uh, it's nonviolent in its nature, but in fact, it's extremely violent because it's the destruction of the faith in your own system. And I think that's, if you ask me, the, you know, the most dangerous problem facing the United States today, it's that. An example of it would be, you know, and in the paper, I included a quote talking about this concept of liberating tolerance. But it's this liberating tolerance concept which would have the president condemning uh, the white supremacists, the KKK, and the Nazis in Charlottesville, but not being allowed to condemn Antifa and the leftist agitators who are actually conducting the violence in Charlottesville. It was the it was the split notion of tolerance. While we had to tolerate the communist violence there, we could not tolerate the right wing's violence there. The thing I really like about President Trump is he's non-ideological. He's a true American. He believes in reason and critical thinking. Um, I think that cultural Marxism seeks to drive both sides into ideological camps to split the society. And that's that's the simplest way I think I can explain it to people. Uh, you can go and, you know, for people who are you know interested in studying it more, you can study Gramsci and they can study the Frankfurt School. And, you know, after the communists were chased out of Germany in the 1930s, they came here and they set up the Frankfurt School where they began to infiltrate U.S. institutions. Uh, and in the paper, in one of the footnotes, I actually linked to a video archive uh, where the uh, Canadian media organization was interviewing a former KGB officer named Bezmanov, uh, who ran their influence operations campaign. And he talks about how they went about setting up uh, their cultural Marxist influence programs. Okay, that was just fabulous. Um, thank you for, for that answer. And I have to tell you that, just stepping back a minute, I feel like we were just talking in the break. Actually, I'm a roundtable here, Mari Sullivan, Jenny McGarry, and we were talking in the break about how we, on the one hand, we observe everything you're talking about here and just all of this happening in America, and we just feel like, you know, um, it, it just seems like a, a big conglomerate and, and ugly and sinister and, and beneath-the-surface attack. And on the other hand, I think there's a lot of a core of America that's not buying it, that is just saying— you know, this isn't our country. And, you know, uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I feel like I'm so glad you, what you, about what you wrote. But I'm, I, I feel excited about the idea. I think there's still a core of American appreciation of our history, our culture, our identity as a country, that it's not flying um, as, well as, as well as the leftists would hope. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. I think there are a lot of vestiges left of, uh, you know, the true vision of America you know, everything from Little League Baseball to the Boy Scouts to the homeschooling movement. I mean, the, and, and the family tradition. I mean, I, I learned a lot of what I know. Uh, my grandfather was a World War II vet. You know, he taught me about America. You know, my father's a Vietnam-era guy. Same thing. Uh, it's, it's passed down familially. And I think that, you know, despite what popular culture is trying to do, uh, hopefully, and I think the election of President Trump is reflective of this, uh, there is the desire to, you know, to to create an, uh, a restored uh, belief in America as founded as a republic, uh, not at perpetual war, uh, with a, with an economic nationalist interest uh, that looks out for production capitalists and the working class. Uh, and I hope we can get back to that. Um, you know, you have the the globalist narrative uh, that is pushed upon us almost every day. Uh, but I think the American people see through that, and I hope that their continued participation at the ballot box reflects that. Because, you know, to take the country back, it's going to require more than just one presidential cycle. Uh, you know, this 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 movement has to be sustainable. 
And uh, I hope that we're right about that. I do, too. Also, Rich, I want to ask you this. So you you wrote this memo. It ended up in um, H.R. McMaster's hands and ultimately ended up in President Trump's hands. At least was reported that President Trump loved the memo. He was right on board. And H.R. McMaster decided that he didn't need you on the National Security Council any longer. Um, But let me ask you this. What would you have said if McMaster said, my gosh, you're right, you're brilliant, and Trump said that? What do you do about this if you are the strategist? trying to push back i think there are a couple things that you know they're 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 simple to say but harder to do uh first off we have to reintegrate civics education uh, and we have to take back the public school system uh the public school system today is just an absolute mess i say this uh, as a person with two daughters currently being uh, indoctrinated uh and then every night they come home and i have to kind of wash off the indoctrination (laughs) Uh, I think that that is, I mean, that's one very simple but hugely important thing to do. Uh, Second, we need to encourage a more competitive media environment, uh, and I don't know exactly how you do that. Uh, Third, and I think it's, you know, you know, talk about something simple to do. How about just a return to teaching uh, Marxist and Islamist ideology? I mean, it's it's just frankly not being taught to our, our analysts in the intelligence community in the national security space today. Uh, I don't have discussions with people my, in my own age group. You know, I was tutored by guys and mentored by guys who are now all in their 70s uh, who fought the Cold War, who fought ideological wars in the past. And uh, I think that they provided for me a skill set that allows me to be able to see this. Unfortunately, there aren't many you know, colleagues in my age group that understand this stuff. And certainly the guys coming up behind me have been completely devoid of any experience with this stuff. So there are some simple things that can be done. Um, you know, as far as how the memo got to the president, or even if it did, I can't confirm all that. I, I don't know for a fact it happened. I never shared it with anybody with the intent of it reaching the president. The fact that it did is quite flattering. Uh, I think the reaction uh, by H.R. McMaster and his deputy Rick Waddell uh, reflects their own concerns on where they fall in terms of their understanding of what's happening to the president. Um, I just think that we, you know, we have an entire cadre now of general officers and senior political leaders inside the government who have, you know, they've aligned themselves with these globalist ideologies and were promoted under, certainly under Obama and probably under the Bush administration. So you have, you know, a generational ideological issue in your general officer and senior ranks uh, inside the government, inside the government right now. And, you know, that, that is, that is a true national security crisis where, you know, the government no longer feels that it's, it, you know, it's ideologically supportive of the American people's wishes. And I think that that's that really troubles me about what I see happening today. You know, the fact that I don't know whether obviously whether President Trump really read it, but the fact that it's been out there so much, I'm going to guess probably every member of the National Security Council, most of the upper uh, upper administration level people in the White House, Trump, many people have read it. And honestly, I think what your real your memo really does help people do is get beyond the day-to-day news, the day-to-day story, the day-to-day issue. No, now we're trying to figure out what about to do with transgenders in the military, what to do about the border security or the dreamers. It helps them think of America in bigger pictures, in a bigger picture, and then also recognize the undermining of America is, you know, if anything else, it is the job of the federal government to preserve and protect America. And so I think it's probably done fabulous good, um, whether, uh, whether, uh, and so actually, I want to ask you one thing quickly about McMaster, I have a minute left, but do you have any sense of whether he read this and just decided that's crazy, this is completely off, or did he decide, I don't want 
the country or the people thinking, I think this, or I just, I want to put my head in the sand. I don't want to deal with this reality. Do you have any idea if he embraces part of what you were writing about? Uh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure he does not embrace it. Uh, I, I know he read it. Uh, he never asked me into his office to speak about it or anything like that. As soon as he saw it, he immediately moved to have me, you know, exfiltrated from the national security council. And that's fine by me. Uh, candidly, uh, the fact that the memo has received such wide distribution, uh, I could not have done more for the country serving in the National Security Council for 10 years. Uh, if, if, you know, 10 or 20 million people read the memo, then I will have done more than I could have ever hoped to accomplish for the country. Rich Higgins, you are a national gem. So, first of all, thank you so much for calling. It was fabulous to talk with you tonight. And I'd love to have you on again sometime. I just thank you so much for your efforts on behalf of America and for writing this memo. All right, Debbie. Hey, God bless. Good night. Thank you, sir. Good night. Okay, folks, you know we're going to come back in a few minutes. And I do, I meant to say at the start of the show, tomorrow is the 16th anniversary of the attack of 9-11. I do, of course, want us to remember that tonight and talk about it a little bit. And we're going to talk when we come back after the break and then into the second hour about DACA. Because now DACA, the issue that relates to the uh, kids here illegally is now in the hands of Congress. And we're talking about what that means and what Congress ought to do. So we'll be right back. No way out. Well, 